him wonderful. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your presence. That's here, O oh God. And we thank you for coming, Lord. Lord, how gracious you are, how mighty you are, how glorious you are, Lord. Your name is the name above all names, Lord. You're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of it all, O oh God. You're worthy of blessing and glory and honor, O oh God. We love you, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you'd come now, just tonight, Lord, the songs have been sung, Lord, we want to come to the word now, I pray that you'd come. Lord, I pray you'd take me out of the way, take all the nerves out of the way, I pray you'd direct my thoughts, oh God, I pray you'd take the speaker and the hearer, oh God, and Lord, I pray that you would move tonight, that you would have the freedom and the liberty to move tonight, oh God, we just want to give everything that we have to you, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, thank you to all the singing. God is good, isn't he? Amen. Uh, I wonder if we could turn to 1 John chapter 3 and then Romans chapter 8. And I want to say I sure appreciate you all and love you all and thank you for the pull and support that you give every time. And uh, tonight I have a, a little thought I, I'd like to bring, and it's something that's just so struck me. It's been on my heart for a long time, but I've never had the, the unction to, to deliver it, and so I'm excited that it feels like it's lined up to deliver. My, my title tonight is, and it has nothing to do with restrictions being lifted, I'm honest. This has been on my heart for a long time, and I thought this way for a while, but my title tonight is Free to Worship. Has n- but I want to be clear, it has nothing to do with restrictions. And in fact, government has nothing to do, this has everything to do with our heart, Amen. and our heart to God. We can be bound in the greatest chains. Paul and Silas were bound in prison chains. And they were so free to worship. And so I want to look at free to worship. I can say this thought has influenced my praise to God, my song leading, my whole life. And so I, I just want to look to the Lord for this. And 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, and then Romans 8, verse 11. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we shall know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Now, this is a beautiful scripture because we know that if our hearts condemn us, we can't have confidence before God. But before that verse, this verse happens. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. He's made a way for us. No matter where our heart is at, God can make a way. This last now verse, beloved, if our heart condemns us not, 
then we have confidence towards God. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. It's one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. But if that spirit, if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. I want to read a, a quote from, from the message, God's provided place of worship. He talks about this scripture. He says, or he talks about the word quicken. He says, quicken it. What does the word quick mean? Now this is where I want to take my, my whole thought in and around this. The Greek word means to be brought to life after death. And he says, there's the gate of worship. And when I began to look at worship, I thought, that's a strange thing. I don't understand that. How does that have to do with worship? But there's got to be something there. He says, there's the gate of worship. God bless you for the prayer, Brother Jake. He says, worshiping in spirit and in truth, mechanics and dynamics together. You see what I mean? God bless you. You can have your seats. I want to take a look at this thought of what happens when you come into and meet God in the gate of worship. What does that mean? And I'll I'll back up to maybe where some of these thoughts started, but I I realized a few years ago that I I would sing, I I would play the music, I'd played the music on the stage for a long time. I led the youth choir. I think probably at the time I might have been song leading. And when I thought about the word worship, I didn't have an answer as to what it meant. I would do all these things, music, singing, but when I thought about that word worship, I I would scratch my head and I'd begin to pray, God, what does it even mean? And these thoughts began to come and the answer began to open up. And so I I trust this has been a blessing as much as it's been a blessing to me. What What is worship? In the, in the dictionary, you would talk about the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity, the worship of God. There's the words that are synonyms are reverence, veneration, adoration, glorification, glory, exaltation, devotion, praise. We think about singing so often as worship, but it's so much bigger than that. In fact, it's our whole life. Our whole life is meant to be a a, a sweet-smelling savor to God. But it is the worshiping and the singing as well. I I used to think, why would we worship? Well, I thought sometimes it's maybe the simplest answer, because God is God. And that's true. We do worship him just because he's God. But if we only leave it there, we really actually limit it. You take a look at the Psalms. I'll go through just a couple quick Psalms and we're going to just move right into the thought. I don't know if I have a strange style of bringing things up, but we're just going to move right in. Psalms chapter 116, verse 1 to 2 says, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplication. It wasn't just because he was God that he began to write a song about it, but because God had done something for him. God had begun to move and do something for him because he hath heard my voice and my supplications, because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. So it wasn't just, yes, we worship God because he's God, but God expresses himself to us. God is alive and he loves us and he expresses and he does things for us. 
There's reasons that bring out worship. In Psalms 118, verse 1, it says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Why? For he is good. For his mercy, because his mercy endureth forever. David began to write a song, not just because he was God, but because he was good and his mercy endures forever. David had done some rotten things in his life, but God's mercy endured. In Psalms 103, 1 to 5, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. These are the reasons to worship. Beyond, there's so many reasons. Who healeth all thy diseases. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who dissatisfieth thy mouth with good things. So that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. When David would write songs of praise and adoration, he had a reason for them. God had done something for David. How many has done, God's done something for you? for me. Now, I think about another question as we begin to look at the thought of worship. You have to say, well, why is this thought even important at all? Is it even important? Does worship, yeah, we, we go to church, we, we sing before the, the word comes forth, but why is it even important? I'll say it's so important. It's more, the topic of worship is more important than we realize. Jesus goes to the desert and gets tempted. You remember that? One of his temptations was this. The devil takes him into an exceeding high mountain, showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and said, all these, these things will I give thee if thou fall down and worship me. How perverse a thing, the devil asking God to worship him. But one of the three major temptations of Jesus, and one of them was around worship. The devil wanting God's worship. We know this, that Brother Branham would say, he would, he would begin to talk, I think questions and answers on Genesis might be the one, one of the stories where he talks about before the foundation of the world and begins to paint a picture. But there would be quotes where Brother Branham would say, before God was God, and then he created angels. And what did the angels do? They began to worship him. And that made him God, because God is an object of worship. How important is worship? It made God God. All the way from the foundation of the world, the very first fight ever happened in heaven. What was the topic? Satan wanted God's worship. He wanted all of the worship that was meant for God to be directed and misdirected to Satan. The very first fight in heaven. What was the very first fight on earth where one brother murdered another? What was it about? The right way to worship. Cain presented his sacrifice of fruits and all of these things. Abel presented his. They went to the gate of worship at Eden. One got it right, one got it wrong. God honored one, didn't honor the other. One got mad at the other over the right way to worship. How important is it? The first murder, Satan getting kicked out of heaven, God making God God. Our battle today that, that, that fight that Satan has with each one of us to compromise on one word has to do with if he can get us to denominate, to, to twist one word of the message, he gets our worship. That's what he's wanted from the very beginning is our worship. A little twist, and he has it. But let's never give it to him. We have one God. We have Jehovah God, the Lord of Lords. 
So what, what is worship? I'm not sure if I've done maybe the best, but it is a song. It's our, it is our adoration and prayer, the beginning of, 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 of the Lord's prayers. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And at the end of the prayer, it says, thine be the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. It's, it's, enthroned, it's encased in worship. It's an adoration. It's a lifting up of, of our praises to him. And we do worship God just because he's God. He's great. He's everything. But it's also our entire life. Everything that we do, Romans 12, verse 1 would say, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, I want to take a look at that word sacrifice, because when I began to look at some of the messages around God's chosen place of worship and God's provided place of worship, I started to scratch my head at the opening scripture he would read which was Deuteronomy chapter 16 about the Passover. And you say, well, John, you ask strange questions. I do ask strange questions. I, I, I was, why, why does that have to do with worship? Brother Brown was preaching a message on God's provided place of worship, and he's reading about the Passover, a sacrifice where they, they put the blood on the doorposts and they had the lamb and, and, and God passed over. And what does that have to do with worship? Brother Branham would say in this message, God's chosen place of worship, he begins to read Deuteronomy 16, 1 to 3, and I'll just read how he read it. But, but now in the book of Deuteronomy, I wish to read from the 16th chapter, the first three verses, observe the month of Abib, which is April, and keep the Passover, the Lord thy God, in the fourth month, for in, for, for in, the, month, for in the month of Abib, the Lord thy God brought thee forth out of Egypt by night. Notice he brought them from something. Therefore thou shalt sacrifice the Passover unto the Lord thy God of the flocks and of the herds in the place that the Lord has chosen to put his name there. And Brother Branham would say, now my subject tonight is God's chosen place of worship. I guess we'll skip verse three, sorry. If you notice the month, and he talks about the month April, and he says, now the strange thing today is as worshipers of God in this day that we live in, we find so many ideas of people. And he begins to look at where did God really put his place of worship? He said, there, there's, there's, the, there's the Muslims and the Sikhs and the Jains and all of these different religions. And there's all kinds of denominations and there's Catholicism and there's all of these different ways and places. But where did God truly put his name? But I still ask myself a strange question maybe. Why would it be that in Hebrews chapter 10, talking about the sacrifice and the worshipers, in Hebrews chapter 10, it would say the worshiper, once purged, would have no remembrance of sin. Why would it be that the Passover would have anything to do with worship? Why would it be that when, when someone would go make a sacrifice for their sins, that, had, that, would, that, that person was called a worshiper? I thought worshiping was praising and singing and shouting, and, and it is. But, but I thought it was all about the singing and the feeling that you get. Why did it have to do with them going to kill a lamb for their sins? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10 would, or sorry, Hebrews chapter 10, 1 to 4 would say, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, not the very image, can never with those sacrifices which they made year after year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. 
For then they would have not ceased to be offered, because that the worshiper once purged would have no more conscience of sins. Brother Branham would start to take this thought in God's chosen place of worship and take it a little farther. He would say, now we look at this text out of Deuteronomy. He says it's a Greek word, Deuteronomy, which is a compound meaning, meaning two laws. And that's just what God has, is two different laws. And one of them is a law of death, and the other one is a law of life. God has two laws. To follow him and serve him is life. To reject it is death. Brother Andrew read that quote. To reject the Holy Spirit in this age is to take on the mark of the beast. There's two laws in God. Now, one of those laws was recognized, made recognized to the world at Mount Sinai. God gave the law to Moses and Israel. Not that the law could help them. The law only pointed out that they were sinners. We were born under a law that weighs on us, even to this day, being born in sin and shaped in iniquity, despite the Holy Ghost being in us. I say that to say that in the, the, our soul is changed, but we're stuck in flesh. And under the flesh is still that, that thing that holds us and pushes us down and tries to push us down. But in us is a, a quickening power that's pushing out and overcoming. But we still fight the effects of, of, of death in this mortal body. But that's losing its grip. But we're under, there's, there's the two laws. Now, the law... The law of death was the commandment given on Mount Sinai, which told man that he was a sinner. And to transgress God's law, he died. But there's no salvation in the law. There was only a policeman that could put you in jail. There was nothing to bring you out with. But he gave another law. That was at Mount Calvary, where sin was reckoned in Jesus Christ, and there the penalty was paid. We came to this earth as sinners. We had habits. We had lies, we had carnality, we were given complexes over time, we developed anxieties, fears, all manner of evil. We needed a savior. How many knows what it's like to be bound? How many knows what it's like to be free? What feels better? We needed another law. We were born under a law of sin and death, and truly we were freed from that. I don't want to say that we're under that, but the flesh, you know, fights with us. But we needed another law to set us free. We were born under the old law, but we needed a transition. We needed a gate to go through. We needed something to go through to come into this new law of life, this perfect law of liberty, something that mandates your freedom, something that says you're free and you're going to be free and you're going to stay free. God made a basis, God's chosen place of worship, that he would meet man on. So Brother, Brother Branham had been talking about where do you meet God in this provided place of worship. He made a basis where he would do it, how he would do it, and that was through the sacrificial blood of a lamb. And he began to talk about Jesus in the Garden of Eden, or he was talking about Jesus. God has never, no time, ever changed that. Never changed it. He decided how he would save man. We try to educate man, school, all of these things. Bring them in, shake them in, baptize them in, and every other way there is, bring them in by letters, but still remains the same God meets a man under the shed blood of the Lamb. So somehow, some way, this sacrifice, this place that, that they would go to, that they would kill the Lamb and be forgiven for their sins, somehow that was a gate to meeting God. Why? God doesn't meet sin. 
But when he begins to look through the blood, all he sees is the blood. And then you can worship him. Then you're free to worship him. It's good to do penance and all these things, but salvation only comes through blood. So when the worshiper came in the Old Testament, they came wanting to worship God, but they couldn't with the gulf between them. The sin barrier and the condemning heart that they had held them back from true worship. You ever come to church knowing you did something wrong and you haven't made it right yet? Try raising your hands truly and worshiping him. You can't do it. Not as soon as you remember that. You can't do it. You're not free. But when you're free. When you're free. Brother Branham would talk about what that Passover meant. And he says, now look at that other type. And he's looking more at Jesus, the Jesus side of the type of the Passover. Now look at that another type while we're along here. That's the type of the Passover, foreshadowed Jesus. We notice here the sacrifice of blood by death. The sacrifice of blood was the place that foreshadowed Christ. Dropping down in the life here, Jesus comes in view by the lamb. The lamb that they offered was a type of Christ and foreshadowed Christ because he was the lamb of God that John introduced that takes away what? The sin of the world. All the things that held us back from accessing God, he took it away. And we find Jesus coming into view. The only place that that death angel could not strike, I'll paraphrase, was when death could not strike where that blood was. I'll say today, death cannot strike. No bomb, no nothing can strike. We'll be gone. Notice how perfect now. The death angel was not forbidden to strike Egypt's great intellectual people. It wasn't forbidden to strike its sacred lands, its great buildings, its pharaohs or the priests. The angel was not forbidden to strike. It could strike any building, any place, but it could not strike where the lamb was. Death cannot strike where this provided place of God is. What did the Passover bring for Israel? Freedom from Egypt. Freedom from the world. And they could step out and they were free. They come to a Red Sea. God brought them through. They saw their enemies. They could see them no more, covered in the sea. And what did they begin to do when they were free from their enemies? They were free from Egypt. They began to worship him. Miriam picked up a tambourine and she began to dance. She was free. There was a reason for her worship. Brother Brandon would say, there is your place of worship. There is your hiding place. There's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Not no church, no creed, nor nothing else, but the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now, in John chapter 4, Jesus lays out the formula for true worship. Brother Jake, you prayed it. He meets the woman at the well, and he demonstrates the sign of the Son of Man. He says, go, go get your husband, and you've had five. And right away, what does she say back? It's so interesting to me. What does she say back? As soon as, as, soon as she, say, she says, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet, and she has a question. A good question. This is, she, she's, she's lived a rotten life. She's done all kinds of things. But she had enough spiritual sense in her that her first question when she met a prophet was this. 
Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and ye say in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. She says, where do I, how do I meet God? Where do I worship him? She knew that the way to access God was, was to be able to find the place to, to be free and, and cleansed and covered from her sins and then worship God, but she didn't know where. She didn't know how. And she had a question. She, she met a prophet who was the Messiah. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye know not what ye worship. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So the formula for true worship today is worshiping him in both spirit and truth. And I'll say that throughout that formula is freedom. You say, how how does that make sense? Well, if we must worship him in truth, then that means the mechanics have to be right. Right? And we know that where if you know the truth, and you shall know the truth, I think it's St. John 8.32, the truth shall make you free. And if we have to worship him in spirit, the dynamics, we know that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is. The whole thing is full of freedom. The whole thing is full of liberty. The whole formula is worshiping him freely. When we come to God, and when we're cleansed, and when we recognize that we're perfect in God's eyes, what does that do to our worship? Practically speaking, when we come to a church service, when we come to a song service, when you come to pick up an instrument, when you come up to song leader, and you recognize and you know, Brother Max is preaching, making every ought right. We've had a lot of services in the last while about cleaning out our lives. How many's cleaned out their life? So if you know that your life has been cleaned and God's been cleansing out the sin and and you stand here forgiven, how ought you to worship? What ought the response to God be? I'm free. It's a miracle I'm free. How, how, I could have never done it on my own strength, my own merit. I know my humanity. But when I know I'm free, and I know it was all him. Now, I have a little spot in my notes to say, to go back to even restrictions and all these things. I am not talking about religious freedom to worship. This has nothing to do with that. This world will get more insane, more restricted. Who cares? I'm getting more and more done with caring about wanting my religious freedom to worship. I'm going to keep saying it. I want to say, I'm not talking about, I'm grateful for the country we live in, the religious freedom we have, but I don't care if we get more restricted. In my heart, I'm free. We'll get more restricted maybe. We might get this, we might get that. That has nothing to do with my freedom to God. When Paul and Silas were bound in chains, they were more free than any free person. 
And as they began to worship God, you know, they, they, had, they had this spirit, but they might not have had their mechanics. They might have been a little bit bound, but they began to worship first. Anyway, that brought their freedom. You want to talk about worship as a weapon? When the children of Israel approached Jericho and they began to shout, they weren't, they hadn't overcome yet. I'll say if you haven't overcome something yet, begin praising him anyway. You can use your worship. There's a psalm about taking that that song or that praise as a two-edged sword. You can use your worship as a weapon and begin to cut down. But don't focus on your chains. Don't focus on all the other restrictions. What does that have to do with us? That has nothing to do with our freedom to worship God. Now, I want to look at two parts, the mechanics and then the dynamics of worship, truth, spirit. Brother Branham would say, I want you to note very carefully, Pergamian Church Age, that Jesus did not say that the evidence of being baptized with the Holy Ghost was speaking with tongues, interpreting, prophesying, shouting, or dancing. He said the evidence would, that be, would be that you would be in the truth. You would be in the word of God for your age. Evidence has to do with not producing, but receiving the word. Let me say it again. Evidence has not to do with producing, but receiving the word. It'll produce itself. I'll say it again from another quote. Pergamian church age, the evidence of a spirit-filled believer is not to produce the truth, but to receive the truth and to believe it and obey it. We've seen a lot of shouting. You can load up YouTube, Brother Andrew talked about it, watching a video of a denominational church. You can load up, you, you, can, you can see shouting, dancing, speaking in tongues, all the manifestations and a life doesn't back it up. You can see it in the message. Now, I'll say carefully, and, and I'll say truthfully, don't question the anointing. Brother Branham preached, anointed ones at the end time. We have to be very careful. We don't start to criticize the Holy Spirit. But the vessel might not be right. And we don't want to be that vessel. God help us to never be that vessel that goes out to church on a Sunday morning, shouts and dances and screams and lives like a devil. That's not true worship. We ought to be free, cleansed, and clean. But at the same time, that same Holy Spirit of God, listen to anointed ones of the end time, can fall and, and, and cause things. But we need the true sanctification of the Holy Ghost to clean up our lives. We want to live in truth. We want to believe the true word of God. We want to believe this message wholeheartedly. 100%. If God said it, I believe it. If God promised it for my life, if he promised healing, I believe it. If God promised deliverance, I believe it. First Samuel 15, Samuel comes to, to Saul and said, Hath the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying, as much as, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. 
all the praises that he could have offered with these, these animals was, was, was a stench when he wouldn't obey God. We come to church, we might feel the presence of God wash us seemingly, but if our heart's not right, it's vanity. God had a very low opinion. You look at, I think, is it Isaiah, maybe the first chapter of Isaiah, something like that, about a, a people that would come to him with a false worship, that their heart would not be in the right place. And it was a stench. We don't want a worship that would be that to God. We want pure worship, true worship. We want to jump as high as we can live. But I want to look at the other side too. Because if you know you're free, all of this isn't meant to be just left at the part that says it's hard. And Brother Brandon would say in the message, I think it is the rising of the sun or maybe God's provided place of worship. He says, we put so much attention on mechanics and nothing on the dynamics. God help me to get this part, because this is the part I've been looking at. I, all of those other things, but this is the part that so jumps out at me. When you know you're free, when God's come and he's done something for you, when he's cleansed you, when he's washed you, when he's sanctified you, when he's washed you with clean water. Brother Branham would say in This Great Servant Moses, 1955, as far as God's concerned, it's finished. The price is paid. You're free. That's what the trouble with people tonight, they don't know they're free. The word in, through the last services has been checking us up. We've had some sermons that have gone through our lives and had to say, oh God, I, I, we, we've had to maybe make a call to someone and say, you know, I'm sorry, I've had an attitude or we might have had to do things to check up our lives and clean out our lives. When we get to the spot that we're right, move forward. Move into the dynamics. Move into the part that says, okay, now I've made it right. I'm walking in the word for my day. God, now what am I supposed to do with this? Because now you're at the spot that God can fill you and do something. We can get all caught up in our own condemnation. Many times we condemn ourselves for things that are long forgiven, long forgotten. God doesn't have a clue what you're talking about. And we hold ourselves, our own worship gets held back. That's not how we're supposed to be. Martin Luther would say, when I look at myself, I don't see how I can be saved. But when I look at Christ, I don't see how I can be lost. How ought we to live? In confidence, knowing that our heart doesn't condemn us. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He knows all things. God forgives. He reaches through. He cleanses. He sanctifies. Now, this quote from the beginning, quicken it. What does the word quick mean? The Greek word means to be brought to life after death. Hallelujah. There's the gate of worship. The quickening power. Brother Branham, one of my favorite messages is the rising of the sun. He talks about the quickening power. And what it is, is when the Holy Ghost comes in your life and from the inside starts a fire and it begins to bring to, to, to life what was dead and it brings it back to life it brings a, or brings a resurrection in you. I could say it that way. And from the inside out, it begins to quicken, Romans 8, 11, your mortal body. Yeah. We look at that as the rapture. 
But, but the rapture is now. We're in the rapture cycle now. And Brother Branham began to describe a situation where a quickened people came out of the upper room in the book of Acts. And they were quickened, and Brother Brandon would say their mortal body was quickened. How did we know that their mortal body was quickened? Why? He says they began to speak, and it was another tongue that began to come out. Their mortal body was being quickened, not just the inside man, not just the spirit, but even this flesh man that we fight with every day was being changed. Brother Branham would say that they would lay their hands on someone, these mortal fleshly hands that gives us problems. And this hand, he says, they were so quick and they would lay their hands on someone and they'd be healed. Our body, our life, we, I heard a message preached one time about the quickening power and the title of it was No More Excuses. He says, we have no more excuses for sin. If we're quickened, look to the word. What, if we, if we think that we can't overcome something, we're discrediting what the cross did. Everything is ours. All things. Brother Branham would say if that spirit that raised him from the dead, the word, the dynamic of the word, dwells in you, it also quickens your mortal body. Notice how the flesh of his word and the bone of his bones, because quickly, while we're yet mortal sinners, mortal, ready to die, these bodies, it quickens the body. He says, what's quicken? Brings to life. He says, the spirit that once liked to drink, run around, commit adultery, all of these things, it's quickened. Amen. And there's the gate to worship. Because you're free. Because you see the change. You know it's God. You're walking in that spot where the, the God's provided place of worship is in Jesus Christ. The quickening power that comes inside of us. Therefore, your bodies is the temple of the dynamics. Because Why? From the beginning, you're part of the mechanics. Oh, there is your resurrection. There is the church and the resurrection with him. These bodies right now are quickened. If we're sitting in the presence of God right now, we're in heavenly places, and these bodies are beginning to change and continuing to change. These bodies are right now are quickened. See, you've heard, you believed. He says, it changed you from a denomination to the word. My that's good. Jesus said in John chapter 4, the time is coming and now is when God being a spirit will be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Brother Branham says, now some people have spirit and no truth. Others have truth and no spirit. Some have the money in the bank, don't know how to cash it. Some people know how to cash it, don't have the money in the bank. It's just like if we had a big car. We know this but let's, let's just say it. We were going out somewhere in a Cadillac, and both Cadillacs were made just alike, and we pushed them out here up to the tanks, and we filled them both up with gasoline at $1.55 I saw today. That's scary. And you crank and crank on one, and while you look out and say, the seat is all right, the steering wheel is pretty, it's got diamond studs in it, and, and it's plush, and it sets pretty. Oh, you sit back and you go to sleep. Oh, and a lot of things you could do. All of them has the right mechanics, but one of them has the dynamics. You see, you might know the mechanics. We might have our life right. I want to say this now. I want to move farther than just a life right. That's good. That's good. <laughs> That's starting. 
He says, he says, you might know the mechanics, but it makes, takes the dynamics, and truly it takes the dynamics to bring us to freedom, but it takes the dynamics to start off the mechanics, to make them work. And that's the matter with the church today. We're full of theology. We're full of message theology without any dynamics in it. That's right. In other words, you've got to have the spark to the gasoline. Or the gasoline is no more, it's, as, it's, not, as good, it's not even as good as water. As long as it hasn't got the spark to fire it. So that's the way. No matter how well we're taught, how well we'll behave, how much of the Bible that we say is true and we believe it all true, it's got to be the dynamics that has got to be there. The spark to set the word of fire. True worship has to come in, in, in truth. But to balance the equation, it has to come in spirit. It has to come both sides in order to be true worship. It'll take that, the spark to set the word of fire to make it start rolling. It's got to have that. If you don't, the church sits still. The car sits still. You'll sit still. But no matter how much you say, I, I sympathize. I believe, every, I believe every word of that. You've got to have something to spark that off. To make that 100 octane go to firing. And that big church of God to go moving on. It's got to take the dynamics with the mechanics. I think that's the matter of the church today. That we're lacking that dynamical power to press this word and live it for this day. Yes, we live a holy, sanctified life. We get our life right. Yes, and it takes, truly, God has to do that for us and bring us to that spot. But now to step out in faith and claim the promises of God. Now to step out in faith and, and, and we would go pray for someone or, or God would, not, not just about that, but would lead us, but lead us in that life of a, as a book of Acts Christian. That no matter what devil would come against us, he couldn't stand before us because of who our friend is inside of us, who our God is inside of us. Martin Luther had the mechanics and dynamics of his day. John Wesley had them of his day. Pentecost had of them of their day. But what about our day? This is another time. The church should be fully grown now, ready to be, meet Christ with the manifestation of every blessing that he's promised. So everything from Luther's day, everything from Wesley's day, everything from Pentecost's day, We'll take a moment on shouting and dancing now that we've went from one side on it. We'll go to the other side. Every blessing is ours. Hallelujah. Everything is ours. Hallelujah. Operating in one great body where he promised that he would meet the people and be worshipped in this great church of his. Brother Branham would say, now we want to find out how we can get into him. How do we get into this place of worship? 1 Corinthians 12 settles it. For by one spirit, not by one church, not by one creed, not by one pastor, not by one bishop, not by one priest, but by one Holy Spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Which is the body of Jesus Christ. And he says this, and we're subject to every gift that lays in the body. Not, no joining, no reciting of creeds, no jumping up and down, no nothing else, but by one birth, we're baptized into one body. Well, what happens when we approach, when we come into the house of God? Let's make, I want to go to the other side, the dynamics. 
And it's not, I don't want to just, I want to say from the outset on this part, I, I struggled to say, how do I, but I believe what I'm about to say. Amen. But I don't want to major on it like it's the major. I want to say, but the shouting, the dancing, the rejoicing, the singing, that's a part of what God's given us. It's not our salvation. It's not even the evidence. Brother Branham would talk about the anointing of God versus the blessings of God. Brother Branham would say when Jesus came and he said, he he began to quote from the prophet Isaiah, I've come to do these things, and, and he says, this day is this scripture fulfilled, and he sat down. Brother Branham said he was full of the anointing of God, supreme power in control. But he says that's different than the blessings. The singing, the shouting, the dancing, all of these things. Enjoy the blessings when they come. When God begins to move across the congregation, and you know you're free, and you know that there's nothing between you and your Lord, and there's, there's, there's nothing... Why wouldn't you shout? Why wouldn't you dance? Why wouldn't you sing? Why wouldn't you give everything? He's God. He's the lover of your soul. He's everything to you. I've spent a whole lot of time establishing that true worship must come in truth. So it has to come in spirit too. Your life has to be right. But it has to come in spirit too. It has to come in something that has life to it. I think it would, it would be, I think Charles Spurgeon and then Brother Bradham that would say, religion without emotion is dead. Amen. What kind of religion do we want to live that wouldn't have something to it? Something that would strike our heart. Something that would light us up, light us on fire. I think it's the book of Zephaniah that would say, God will rejoice over Zion, you and me, with singing. Why wouldn't we do that with him? If God can rejoice over us with singing, so excited. There's a quote I want to, I'll get to that in a second maybe. And you could say, well, you're leaning to the emotion side. Yeah, right now I am. And that's okay when we balance on the one side. Because we come to the other side and there's got to be another side. There's got to be the side that says, I love my Lord. I'm going to sing. I'm going to shout. This quote I want to read for you from the message, pardon. So forgiveness. This is an amazing message. You want to listen to pardon? Oh, man. This is a good one. But he says this. He says, I like this kind of singing. When I was back there praying for some of the people a few moments ago that had been brought in, he says, this is not a prayer service, just to speak, I was in there. I could hear the songs, the clapping of their hands, and some of them even, he says, I seen, I seen run up and down the floor, what they call dancing in the spirit. At first, I was a critic of that. Remember, Brother Branham was the wave chief to show that more were coming. And this was his opinion. And I've balanced the other side out, but we're going to go to this side. At first, I was a critic of that. When I seen the Pentecostal people dancing in the spirit, and I thought, what is this? It must be a bunch of nonsense. Then I got to reading the Bible, that word that we believe every word of. And he said, I found out when dancing in the spirit. The devil copied it and put it out there with rock and roll and stuff. But the real, genuine dance come from God. It was a dance was a victory. When David slew Goliath and this little ruddy looking boy came out drugging the head of this giant, that thing that was tormenting his people, 
the people met him with dancing. They had the victory. When Moses crossed the Red Sea by the power of God and took the children of Israel on the other side, Miriam picked up, picked up a tambourine. Remember, she was like an 87-year-old woman, woman. She was older than Moses. She was out there and she began to see her enemies that had tormented her all of her life. She picked up a tambourine and all the daughters of Israel and up and down the bank they went, beating the tambourine and dancing in the spirit. If that isn't an old-fashioned Pentecostal meeting, I've never seen one in my life. Says the trouble with me when I was critical of it, he says the trouble with me is I didn't have enough victory. He wasn't free enough. But when you get free, when you find, but when you finally get that victory, he says, and that to the token of the blood of Jesus Christ comes on you. I remember David, the great psalmist of the Bible, when he had done something, and this great thing he was given Saul's daughter, and this is so applicable to our day. He says, she was kind of a self-start, this, not this, well, this part too, but both parts of this, where I'm going with what David was dancing about. She was kind of a self-start, self-styled, so-called believer. And the ark of God, Amen. the message of the hour that's come back, when the ark of God that had been away from God for a long time, the visible presence of God, the pillar of fire hanging over this ark, the Philistines had come in and took it out under Saul's reign. And one day when David seen that ark coming back to the house of God, David ran out before the ark and he danced before the Lord, singing the praises of God. And Saul's daughter seemed to be very much embarrassed by this man's action. Her husband, her young, handsome husband, had cut up and misbehaved himself in her presence, the king's daughter. And David said so much, if you don't like that, watch this a little while. And around and around and around the ark he went, dancing in the spirit. Her reaction brought her a curse. Oh, Brother Branham says in the message, pardon. He says, oh, the victory through the blood of Jesus Christ, the token of the resurrection of Christ, his life within his church. There's no other way of fellowship but under that blood. You remember the prophet of our hour, the wave sheep, when he got excited out in the woods and he found a tree and he began to run around it and run around it and run around it. Truth and in spirit. Now, I'm not saying you all should be dancing. But I'm saying maybe you never knew you could. You're free. Maybe you never knew you could speak in tongues. Maybe you never knew you could shout and sing. Maybe someone that shouts and sings would, would be so silent and weep in the presence of God. All parts are of God. Let the Spirit move. You're free. People say, well, we have to be careful. I've seen people worship and dance and praise and live a wrong kind of life. Yeah. yeah. What is that to you? Right. You're free. Yeah. The anointing wasn't the problem. The, the vessel might have been the problem. But when, the anoint, when you know you're the right vessel, that doesn't apply to you. You're free. Let the spirit fall. Let God move. Move past everyone else around you. Yeah, we need discernment. If something isn't right, it isn't right. But we don't need criticism. In fact, we need to be careful. What if it was God moving and it was the right vessel and they're getting free? I want to read a, an amazing quote to me. 
Redemption and completeness in joy. Again, this is our prophet speaking. He says, the blessed Virgin Mary was right there, up in the upper room. The blessed Virgin Mary was right there, acted just as idiotic as the rest of them. Just as drunk as the rest of them. These men and women, every one of them was full of new wine. It wasn't a sip. They were full of new wine. If God ever changed that program, put your finger on the scripture for me. If God's ever changed that, tell me about it. The program of God still stands. It isn't there, Brother Branham says. No, sir, it was plumb on to the end of the age. That way, plumb on to the end of the Bible. It will be the same thing when Jesus comes. Brother Branham says this. And I, I, I will, maybe this is, it's okay. He says, how can you be a part of him? All the blessings of God, all the promises of God, every part. Brother Branham says this. How can you be a part of him and then deny him? How can I deny my hand being my hand? If I do, there's something mentally wrong with me. And how can I, if there's something mentally wrong with me, deny my hand, deny that's my foot? He says, there's something spiritually wrong with the believer that denies any word that God ever said and promised. The whole book is for us. The singing, the dancing, the shouting, the freedom. Truly, our life is the worship to God. Let your bodies be. Uh, the dynamics of this church will be a refilling of the Holy Ghost. The di- dynamics, it, it can manifest in the dancing and the singing, but truly, it's the life that we live. It's that part that God wants to rapture. It's that something that God wants to, there's such a pull and a draw. You remember that story Brother Brown would tell about the young saplings and the old trees and how we want to be that flexible, green, young tree that could move and sway in the presence of God? You remember how Elijah came and he began to rebuild the altar and get all the things in order and everything set right? And then what happened? The fire fell. God came. When it was in order, the dynamics came. Now, I don't want to point towards just an emotional church or a Pentecostal kind of worship. We're beyond that. But yet, we're part of the true Pentecost. I'm not saying we need to shout or manifest more or dance. That's great if we do. But I want to point to a true Pentecost, the original Pentecost. You're free. Like David, the word is restored. We're living in the end time. I'm pointing to the life of an overcoming bride. I'll ask, what what do you think a bride would do right before she was raptured? Knowing she's free. Think 30 days before the rapture, you've seen your first loved one. What would you care about? The, The bombs are hanging yonder. The news about this is getting worse. Who cares? You're free. You're going to make it. It's everything. Brother Ed sent me this the other day. He says, hallelujah. This is, this, is, this is the anticipation. The great corridors of heaven is crowded full. The harps are all in tune. The great bands are already practiced up. There's a great homecoming time pretty soon for the church of the living God who's been waiting for his time coming. Everything's in order. 
I'm so glad. I'm getting so tired. Oh, for that great hour. And to think we've had a part in this junction of time. Remember, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man when the Son of Man is being revealed from heaven. Now remember, before the rain fell, Noah was in the ark. Before the fire fell, Lot was out of Sodom. For the angel said, I can't do nothing until you come hither. That angel said, I've got the lever in my hand to pull and make the fires fall from heaven. And I think that's exactly, that angel of destruction is holding the hand of Russia with the atomic bombs until the church comes together as one great body of Christ. I can do, can't do nothing till you come hither. Oh, if that isn't a blessed assurance. And if we see everything set in order, the going home of the church is in order, here's the angel of the God, of the God with the same message, performing the same signs, the same wonders, everything set in order. The band is ready. The harps are in tune. Everything's ready. All we're here is in a holding pattern, getting ourselves ready, our hearts ready, our lives ready. We're just in a holding pattern until that day, until the last one comes in, is perfected, and we can just go home. But how on this earth, in these last days maybe, we, we talk, it could be over in a week. The bombs could fly. It might be over in five years. But how, if we, I, someone had sent me this message talking about Russia and these things. He said, I wonder how we would live if we knew exactly how many days we had left. What if this is the last year? As we approach these last moments, not to live in fear, not to hold ourselves, and then five years from now we forget about it all, but how ought we to consecrate our lives? And when we show up to church, how ready ought we to be to come and worship God? To let go of it all. To be free. If God says you shout, let it shout. If God wants you to pray all night sometime, pray all night sometime. What time do you have to worry about anymore anyway? Oh, I need, God help me to do that. God help me to do that. Why did all of the things of work, I've heard it said, Brother Ron, I think said, and someone else maybe said here, Brother Ron Spencer, work is just a sideshow. My career, honestly, is a sideshow. I like it. It's fun. It's neat. I don't care. I hope Todd's not watching. But I don't. It's okay. It's good. I like it. I get to do things I like. I don't care. I want to go. I want to live the way God wants me to live. I want everything in me to be quickened. I want every weakness in me burnt out. I want my whole life to be a worship to him. I want to be free. And by God's grace, I'm free. Oh, glory. When Jesus was born, I'm almost done, but when Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, remember that story, the wise men come, they present their gifts and they worship him? I want to ask you a question. Where was Jesus born today? Amen. So Brother Brown talks about we come to church and the angels are in the rafters energizing our faith. But that presence we feel is not God in the rafters. God's right here. He's in us. If, if our body is the temple of God and our heart is his throne, where are we worshiping him? He's not far away. The angels are above us. The, the building is full. We're free. We're already delivered. But God is right here. He's in us. He's
He's not just with us. It's not God above us anymore, but it's God not just with us, but in us, desiring us. He wants, you want to talk about his anticipation for heaven. You think about how much anticipation God has watching the bands practice, watching the harps get in tune, looking forward to his bride almost home forever. But the random says, God hates a powerless religion. It's God to have power in it. It's God to have sincerity. Sincerity brings power. My. Sincerity brings real worship. Not forms, but genuine power worship. To know that you've passed from death unto life. What comes after Hebrews 10, that worshiper that was purged? Hebrews 11, faith, that access to God, that's something that we could come into. Brother Branham would say, it's the uniting time of God and his bride too. I say this with reverence and respect. I believe that the bride of Christ is called. I believe she is sealed in the kingdom of God. I believe the mechanics is here. They're waiting for the dynamics that'll take her off into the earth into glory. In the rapture, I believe it with all my heart. We don't know how he's going to do it, but he shall do it. He is the dynamics. We just become members of the machine of his body, forming ourselves into his image and see him uniting himself with us in his works, with his love gifts, as he hands them to us just before the wedding supper. And we're waiting, waiting for that. The world, their big church is is to be united. The dynamics of this church will be a refilling of the Holy Spirit that we have worked in a small measure while the headstone is coming down to unite with the body. But when that head and body unites together, the full power of the Holy Ghost would raise her up just exactly like that. Even the dead, that's dead in Christ, for hundreds of years ago, will rise in the beauty of his holiness and take a flight to the skies. The dynamics is the Holy Spirit. I wonder if the musicians could come. Brother Branham Branham would say, but when the Spirit is near, what will take place? Salvation will be introduced. Salvation that will bring a spiritual worship. Not a singing of hymns altogether, but a worship in the spirit. It's got to be so contrary to the intellect, it's stunned by it. You can't understand God by intellectual faith. You must be born again. It's got to come to the heart. It's got to be an experience. And when that experience is wrought by the Holy Spirit, then the same nature and the same power and the same reaction that happened on the church first will come again, for it's God in them. If that first church danced and shouted, If that first church cast out devils, if that first church lived a holy life, if that first church had critics and unbelievers and Ananias and Sapphira, I want to be that first church. It'll have all kinds of things. We'll see things that we won't agree with. We'll see things that are wrong. Don't blame the medicine for someone who didn't take it. But when you take the medicine, It'll work. It has to work. It can't do anything else. You ask me why I'm happy? I'll tell you why. My sins are gone. 
They're underneath the blood of the cross of Calvary. As far removed as the east is from the west. How many loves him tonight? I, I don't know how to end this, but God, let's worship him tonight. Let's all stand. You ask me why I'm happy, I'll tell you why. Well, you ask me why I'm happy, so I'll just tell you why. Because my sins are gone. Think of it. And when I meet the scoffers who ask me where they are, I say, my sins are gone. Oh, they're underneath the blood on the cross of Calvary. Oh, as far removed as darkness is from dawn. They're in the sea of God's forgetfulness. That's good enough for me. Praise God, my sins are gone. And twas at the old time altar where God came in my heart. And now my sins are gone. The Lord took full possession and the devil did depart. I'm glad, yes, I'm glad my sins are gone. Underneath the blood on the cross of Calvary, as far removed as darkness is from dawn, they're in the sea of God's forgetfulness. That's good enough for me. Praise God, my sins are gone. And when Satan comes, oh, and tries to. You got me into trouble, oh, but Jesus got me out. I'm glad, yes, I'm glad my sins are gone. Oh, they're underneath the blood on the cross of Calvary. Oh, as far removed as darkness is from dawn. They're in the sea of God's forgetfulness. That's good enough for you. Praise God. Let's look at this last one. And I'm living now for Jesus. And I'm happy night and day. Why? Because my sins are gone. And my soul is filled with music. With all my heart I say. I know, yes I know my sins are gone. Well, there underneath the blood on the cross of Calvary, as far removed as darkness is from dawn, there in the sea of God's forgetfulness, that's good enough for me. Praise God, my sins are gone. Hallelujah. Amen. How many believes that? I'll say, I, I hope I haven't said anything of myself or something, even that, maybe that little part about the restrictions. I, I, I don't like them either. But it still has nothing to do with our relationship with God. That's all I'm trying to say is look past all of those things. 
We're free from another source. We're free. And again, if I've said it in a way that, I'm sorry, I don't mean, but we're free. We're so free. I think that song, I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. I don't know if I know how to sing that. You know what? Maybe we won't try it. Why do I feel discouraged? I'm not going to try it. But do you, do you know that song, Worship, Simply Worship? Why? Maybe we'll try that one. I'm going to mess up the verses of the first one. Mm, um, the song is called Worship the Lord, I think is the title. Worship the Lord, I believe it. Uh, maybe the next one. Yeah, there we go. God will, God will not reject your prayers. Praying makes you stronger. I have never seen the righteous forsaken. Begging for bread and left to suffer. Oh, have patience, just wait and see what God will do. Our reaction to whatever the circumstance is this. When you lift up your hands and surrender, God will pull you through. Oh, worship, simply worship. If you are crying, worship. In your trials, worship. If you are hurting, worship. Cause nothing matters, worship. He will hear your praise. God goes before you, saying, Let there be healing your wounds and setting you free. Sending his angels fighting from all sides. He's leading the way. Yes, he is the guide. Trust in Him, He will never fail. He'll walk with you along life's rugged trail. Lift up your hands, this is your victory day. Give Him the praise, worship the Lord. 